Welcome to Film Exploration with Ashari, and we continue with our exploration on our most recent decade, the 2010s, and before it ends, I thought we would do a podcast on my top 10 films of this decade, and next up, in no particular order, is the 2016 sci-fi drama film Arrival, directed by Denis Villeneuve and starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. This is not your usual sci-fi film. I think one of the things we've learnt this decade is that we're trying to either go backwards to nostalgic decades and relive contemporary movies in the backdrop of 80s or 70s or whatever decades shout out adolescence to you. Or we have this up-to-date approach on genres where special effects take over in sci-fi films or disaster films like uh, Greenland or Transformers or Alita or the genre romance where the couples don't get together at the end like in La La Land. Or a drama that is somewhat too real, too authentic. It doesn't try to hide anything that maybe movies in the past tried to sugarcoat in other decades. But in conclusion, the 2010s was essentially trying to do something different. We're trying to make their stamp on cinema with nothing to really play around with for the first time. I mean, the noughties, the 2000s had the rise of special effects. The 50s and 60s had the rise of colour. The 80s, the franchises were coming alive, like Back to the Future, Gremlins. 70s had this rating system, which allowed bleak movies to really have no restrictions, uh, like The Godfather and Deer Hunter. And then we also had the introduction of unknown auteurs at the time, like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, which who they blessed with uh, you know Jaws and Star Wars. But the 2010s, they had no such turning points. It just carried on from 2009 where where that left off leaving auteurs and directors to really think about what the next revolutionary stage in cinema is going to be how do we make things better what is going to be watchable what are people going to pay cinema tickets for how do we make things more authentic now it's no surprise that the 2010s was heavily taken over by the marvel universe and just general comic book adaptations but in the middle of that we had the rise of some established directors outdoing themselves with this knowledge of what we had already done and one man who is very exciting to watch right now in fact i would say he's probably he's got several films in my top 10 i would easily put three of his films in that list but i i, I need to restrain from doing that in fact i'm just choosing one and it's the sci-fi drama arrival uh, that he's so masterfully adapted to be one of the most exciting journeys in the sci-fi journey for since Blade Runner. I mean, the trailer advertised something that we'd already seen before, aliens landing on Earth with an unknown intention and without assumed assumption of the worst, a global takeover, war, or an, an invasion. I mean, we've seen these films before, heavily in the 90s, with films like Mars Attack, The Faculty, Independence Day, The 80s, The Critters, Gremlins, if you want to count that, Close Encounter, E.T., I guess. I mean, even the 70s had Invasion of the Body Snatchers, other classics like It or Them, Mutated Beings, or the classic Quartermass in the 50s. And we have a, we, we, we have full of them in, in this decade with, um, you know, the District 9 films. I, I think that was at the end of the noughties, but we had Edge of Tomorrow, Attack the Block... Before that, we had the remakes of classics like Village of the Dams, War of the World, The Thing. So audiences knew this genre, and they knew it well with variations of this subgenre of sci-fi, done in many more hybrids, and even done with many sequels and even prequels as the decades went on. So there was no real unique selling point with Arrival when it hit the trailer market. I think it had to rely on the stars of the movie, Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner, uniting once again after um, starring in American Hustle which did quite well at the box office. And obviously Jeremy Renner made a name for himself uh, as Hawkeye in the Marvel Universe, which was heavy 
in uh, this decade. And of course, Amy Adams was quite high on um, another comic book film, which was Man of Steel. But she also did her own films as well. And she was also fantastic in them. So it relied on these two big names and also the experience of Forrest Whitaker to really sell these tickets. So it had to lure you in. It had to lure audiences into the cinema. The evidence I've given shows that this genre does sell tickets. We have this story pop up every now and again, and it's done constantly with subtle differences or just with a different backdrop. And that's why they keep making these films. They sell tickets. But no one prepared themselves for arrival on the epic journey it would take you on. If you haven't read The Story of My Life by Ted Chiang, in which this film is based on, you wouldn't have a clue on what you're getting yourself into. You'd probably assume that it's another Independence Day or another War of the Worlds. It's why Alfred Hitchcock, back in 1960, bought every single copy of Psycho before releasing it at the cinema, so no one knew what to expect when he showed the trailer. It's the scare factor. The factor is the reason why the movie worked, because you walk into that movie expecting one thing, and then it totally misleads you, and then you experience something completely different. I mean, the main character in Psycho, uh, played by Janet Lee, is killed off in 30 minutes. So where does the movie go after that? Audiences were shocked. It wasn't the shower scene that was shocking. It was the fact that she died. It wasn't like the stabbing. It was that she was killed off so early on. And the trailer and the posters were making her the big star of this movie. So where is this movie going to go now? So Arrival... What is this film about? So like I said, it's based on the novel The Story of My Life and it deviates from the book in ways you kind of have to in terms of creating a completely different medium. The movie opens with a tragedy, a flashback, if you will, of an emotional family tragedy. And then we return to the present where we follow this linguistics teacher played by Amy Adams on her way to teaching a class at college. Now, during this class, we're given clues that something, on is, go- something is going on around the world because people, the students' uh, phone keeps getting notified and they keep going to their phones and one of the students like, can you turn on the news? And then about five minutes later, we hear this like air raid alarm and then the whole school is ev- like, evacuated. And the event turns out to be that there are 12 unidentified vessels that have appeared around the world. And they've they've invaded the world, but they're they're just hovering over certain parts of the world. There's like two in America, three in Europe, Asia, Australasia, they're everywhere. The the simplicity is the scary part. They're doing nothing. The assumption is they're obviously visitors from another world and they're just loitering. They're doing nothing. Now, with the worldwide panic of these of the arrival of these 12 vessels, they try to interact with them, and thus they recruit Amy Adams, who is later joined by a physics expert played by Jeremy Renner, and they team up to open a line of communications with these beings. The first third of the movie is the build-up to them doing exactly that. We're given no sneaky non-reveals. We finally do see them. The movie doesn't try to shy away from not showing them fully. We see them in complete form. And the movie unfolds onto this language barrier between the aliens and us, and we're trying to find out why they are here. As time ticks on, and as impatient and scared as people get with the presence of these UFOs just hovering there, including the government, they start to get an itchy trigger finger, and they start to think that they're here for malicious plans, uh, for malicious reasons. As the film goes on, we understand more and more about the intention of these visitors and revealing a secret so deep that only a select few can do anything about it, which unravels to be one of the best sci-fi films ever made. I mean, that's the general plot of the film. I'll talk a little bit about Denis Villeneuve, um, because this is the guy who is slyly climbing the charts in being one of the best directors in Hollywood today. He's responsible for arguably the best films of this decade, and I would easily put him higher than Christopher Nolan and Tarantino at the moment. He's a French-Canadian director. He first came into Hollywood with this mysterious film called Prisoners with Hugh Jackman. He then directed Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal and Sicario, which was brilliant, and then he did Arrival. 
All of these films have been raved about by prestigious critics about his dark sense of style and accurate uh, sort of portrayal of life. He is just absolutely brilliant. He has not made one bad film yet. He recently just done uh, Blade Runner 2049, which further emphasizes his style and tone of his movies. And he's just doing the new June movie, which comes out uh, November 2021, which has been very much hyped about. It's Frank Herbert's uh, classic sci-fi novel, which has been done before. But um, I think it's going to be done a lot better with Denis at the hands. I mean, Blade Runner, of course, done by Ridley Scott in the 80s. No one could really capture that tone, but Denis managed to do it. And it's still sequels are really not respected, especially sequels of classics like Blade Runner. But Blade Runner 2049 was loved by critics. No one even said a bad thing about it. So you can just see his sort of style. Um, but he's basically the new Christopher Nolan at the moment. In fact, he admires Christopher Nolan greatly, both around the same age, in fact. He said in an interview that cinemas are the, are the one lasting existing communions in the world. And he said after hearing 2,000 audiences members shout at the same time during his film Prisoners that he doesn't believe that none, that, that can be done in sync anywhere else in any situation as genuine as seeing a movie for the first time at the cinema with a packed audience. Like me, he believes it's all down to that initial experience of seeing a movie that will hold a memory in your head for years to come. I mean, everyone has a memory of a movie at the cinema for whatever reason that sticks out in your head. I mean, from God knows what age. For me, it was Pirates of the Caribbean 2. When I'm, you know, um, I don't know if you recall the moment. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean 1 was massive. Everyone loved Jack Sparrow, Orlando Bloom. It was a really big hype. It was 2003, 2004. So then the black, um, the second movie came out and that was one of the biggest movies ever made. And it's when you first see Jack Sparrow and he shoots the bird on top of the coffin and that's in, uh, and he's inside it. And then the music builds up from Hans Zimmer of his entrance and then he rips his way out of the coffin. And everyone in the cinema was clapping their hands and cheering. And I had to do it as well. I was like, oh my God, I've never experienced this before. So for me, that was one of the moments I remember. And everyone was in sync. All the, you know, everyone stood up, clapped their hands just because Jack Sparrow was on scene. So... It's amazing that you can be, you know, totally in sync with complete stran- uh, strangers, you know, brought to you by the movie industry. But yes, Denis, he was the guy that made this film possible. The film is a journey that really takes you on a rather misleading ride. I mean, the great thing about this is we follow a woman who's been through the wars, assumingly, known by the audience, and we follow her on this journey. The film is more about Amy Adams' story than the story of the aliens hovering over Earth. The sci-fi element is merely a backdrop to this whole emotional story that has taken place. If anything, what this film does so well to explain is the human side to a sci-fi event. And I don't think many films have done this so authentically and emotionally than they have in Arrival. Amy Adams brings a nuance to this role, a vibe that screams empathy towards her role. Even the misdirection of the plot offers a help in hand in this. I mean, the question of this film from the trailer and from the first glance is, why are the aliens here? What do they want? It's probably the first few questions you want to ask them. Now, given we have the opportunity in the narrative to talk to the aliens without any known repercussions, we are blocked by a universal problem. Language, a language barrier that has put everything on halt. So as time goes on, people get scared. I mean, as more time goes on, you your mind entertains your worst fears. The initial reaction to this arrival is, of course, fear, as reasonable as that would be. But Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner sees this time as an opportunity to learn from the aliens and see what they're doing here. What is their intention? And as time goes on, as fear feeds into small-minded governments' minds around the world, the you know they start to get aggressive with no real evidence towards the alien beings, which is somewhat 
mirroring what is happening in today's government. And remember, this book was written in 1998, so it's an interesting revelation for it to ring true today. As the time, you know, the longer the time goes on, we eventually introduce to this gift that the alien has bestowed to Amy Adams, where she is being given the opportunity to alter space and time, and thus these flashbacks she's been having of her daughter are actually of someone who hasn't been born yet, her future daughter. But it's something happening in the future, and thus she uses this to safely protect the alien race and her own being, starting an interstellar war with them. And then the movie actually returns to the bigger story, knowing her destiny, that she will have a baby who will unfortunately die young because of a disease. But the question we go through here is, will she go through it again, knowing the outcome? And this acts as the movie's main theme. That isn't even revealed until the end of the movie. We, the audience, assume that these flashbacks she's having of these memories of her child are something that's already happened in the past, as ordinary as that would be. But in fact, they are flash-forwards of things that haven't happened yet. I mean, the movie is stunning in terms of really giving off this vibe of a dark, unknown world, which is exactly what it is, because we don't know, like the audience, why the aliens are here. And yet the door for communication is open it's a bit of a tease but then we've got the simplest of obstacles language hence why they recruit amy adams and it's very relatable because language is always the you know the first weapon used in war the inky circular language the alien uses in this movie was invented specifically for the movie it was a guy from montreal same guy who created the drawings for hannah in the movie denis and the scriptwriter ended creating this logogram or logogram of over a hundred words of this newfound language that they created, which was actually quite impressive. I mean, the theme of this movie, you know, echoes with the daughter's real name, Hannah, um, being a palindrome, the same forwards as it, as it is backwards. The opening scene in the movie is revealed to be chronologically the last scene in the movie because it hasn't happened yet. And to add to the realms of coincidences or maybe clever casting, Jeremy Renner's last name is also a palindrome. And is the girl's father in this movie. Even the you know the violent melody in the last sequence is palindramic as well. I mean, the melody goes backwards, but obviously you don't know that. You know, dirty sci-fi is exactly what director Denis Villeneuve and cinematographer Bradford Young called the look they were created together for Arrival. He wanted to create this feel of like this was happening on a bad Tuesday morning, like when you were a kid on the way to school, on the school bus, on a rainy day, and you dream while looking out the window at the clouds while you're on your way to school. That was the kind of atmosphere that they were going for in this movie. And this is expressive in the colours, the costume, the sky, just everything about it. Even the soundtrack is so eerie. It's so beautiful. It's beautiful. I think like it's like the, the, the music is something that needs to be talked about. I mean, the eerier something is, I think it crosses that boundary to becoming beautiful because it, I, I think the sound is like the variations of whales or harmonics from underwater creatures that created the sound that they used for this movie and then they played it backwards but it's truly an amazing score for this movie which is like the cherry on top of the cake for arrival and there's also this scene where louise played by amy adams tells the colonel the importance of um finding out first what their intentions are before jumping the gun before rushing to any conclusions which is exactly what happens in this movie when they translate one of the words as weapon and causes this overreaction of the world leaders to attack the aliens without real any evidence to go by and uh so louise goes to colonel weber that the word kangaroo comes from an historical misunderstanding and kangaroo actually means I don't know, only to tell Ian that the story is made up, but it illustrates a point. So this is an actual myth. It's not just a made-up story. It involves James Cook and Sir Joseph Banks, who arrived in Australia in the 18th century. 
where they made contact with this guy called Gungjo Yamea, a coastal Aboriginal tribe. And they were puzzled by the sight of a kangaroo. And they asked the tribesman what it was. And according to the myth, the tribesman responded with the word gangaroo, meaning I don't understand in that language. So Banks mistook it for the local term for the animal, spelling it kangaroo, in his diary. And the myth was debunked in the 1970s by this linguistic expert called John B. Haveldland. In reality, the word gangaroo specifically refers to the grey kangaroo in the Gungu language. When Cook and Banks travelled 1,400 miles inland, they encountered the Bangaroo tribe, who were unfamiliar with the other tribe and the word gangaroo. And they thought it meant an unknown animal. So kangaroo actually means an unknown animal. So they started using the word to describe Cook's and Banks' horse as unknown animal. So that's why kangaroo is called kangaroo. But it's probably another theme for this uh, for this movie is, is, is the weapon, the idea of communication and more specifically language, the idea of misconstructing information as something else and what does it, you know, the repercussions of what it does if you get, you know, it's like a game of Chinese whispers that goes wrong. So the movie develops, like I say, when they translate the word weapon, but the alien are doing this, in fact, giving Louise a weapon to use. So the aliens give A.M. Louise a weapon to use so they can help the aliens in the future. So Amy Adams can help their race, which is why they give her this weapon, which is the ability to look ahead in time or bend time as she pleases. And this is eventually explains the weird dreams she has in the movie. But to us, we assume they're flashbacks, which adds to the whole miscommunication of uh, the port, the communication between us and the film, which is done deliberately for us as the audience. I mean, the basic theme is shown in one sentence at the start of the movie during one of Louise's lectures, saying that language is the foundation of civilization. It is the glue that holds a people that holds people together. It is the first weapon drawn in a conflict. The idea of misconception and general communication is the biggest theme of the movie to take away from it. Viewing this movie a second time is almost like another journey, considering we know we now know the fate of Amy Adams. Um, this is, the decision, as sad as it is, is to pursue life as normal, knowing that and she will in fact give birth to a child that will soon die at a young age. It's about... It's about doing, if you know the outcome of knowing what you want to know. Uh, it's about, would you do it again? And that stands as the big question for her character. The film, if you watch it a second time, hides these little clues in the movies to indicate the true linear of this narrative. The drawings from Hannah, the flashbacks, the relationship between her and Jeremy Renner offers vital clues that either she doesn't know has happened yet or she can only brush as coincidence. And we, as the audience, don't even know which one it is yet until we figure out what the alien actually wants from her. Even the spaceships, I mean, they're deliberately shaped like eggs to maybe signify the idea of being reborn. However, right at the end of the movie, they turn sideways and they look like stereotypical UFOs we all know from movies and TV shows in the past. And it's just another example of this idea of not everything is what it seems, this misdirection. The idea that the spacecraft has traveled millions and millions of light years to get there and yet doesn't touch down on Earth, but simply hovers 28 feet above the ground. So the so just shows that they are inviting the humans to make the final approach. And that is the clue to these aliens' approach to this whole thing. It's a joint effort, because eventually their true desire is that they can help the alien race survive with this weapon that they now, that they now have, which is to see the future. I mean, one Oscar for sound editing and then further eight nominations. I mean, this film holds high in the category for best film of that decade, let alone that year.
Sci-fi films like this just don't win Oscars, and it was good to see that this film was being recognised at the Academy. Sci-fi films, I mean, there's only one sci-fi film to ever win an Oscar, and that was Shape of uh, The Shape of Water. And that was after um, Arrival as well. But unfortunately, Amy Adams didn't even get a nomination, one of the biggest snubs, in my opinion, even though she got nominated everywhere else, including Golden Globes and BAFTAs. But this is probably one of the best performances I've seen Amy Adams in. And in a, it's a movie, it's a sad journey for a sci-fi film. It's technically not even an alien movie, more a drama about this movie, going through an, about this woman going through an event, and it's just done extremely well. The tone is caught so well in this movie from the cinematography Bradford Young, who actually became the first African-American to be nominated uh, in a cinematography category, which is quite a cool feat as well. But to the music, the production, and especially the direction from Denis Villeneuve is just on point and can and you know it quadrupled its fifty million pound uh, dollar budget at the box office, which some would say wasn't much. But if you ask anyone, this is a film that will, in fact, survive the test of time and be up there, being one of the best in the sci-fi genre. But I have babbled on quite a lot now, so that is all I have time for with Arrival, a mesmerising film. The score for this film is just outstanding, and it is a proper journey if you sit through this film in one sitting. A tremendous achievement in every department for this film. But yes, please subscribe to me on iTunes, Google, and I'm on Spotify too. Uh, also on Instagram, Film Exploration, A-H, or lowercase, all one word. And thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.